So, brother and sister, this morning we return to the book of Mark. Yay, the gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to study a little bit further from where we were last time. And what are we doing as we go through the book of Mark? We're doing what 1 Peter chapter 2.21 says. Look at the scripture. He says, For this, to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Christ left us an example that you should follow His footsteps. So what we are doing as we read through the book of Mark is we are following in the footsteps of Jesus according to Mark. And we learn a few things on our way. We learn who Jesus is and why He came. This is an action-packed book, as you know. Mark is a man of immediately. Things happen immediately in this world. And we saw over the last few weeks and maybe a few months how we've learned things so that we can know Jesus better. We know why He came. He came to die for us. We know who He is. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He came from God. That is the Son of God. He sat with God. In the Bible says He was with the Father and He is God. And He came and He lived amongst us. The Son of Man who from here can reach out to heaven. He can breach from here to heaven. And when He went up to heaven, He sits at the right hand of God. And how wonderful is that? Where He can intercede for us on a daily basis. So this is what we do. We are just following Jesus. And this morning, the message or the topic of the message is not impressed by large crowds. Not impressed by large crowds. And as you can see there, a lot of people. Now we're living in a society where large crowds draw a lot of people, isn't it? And people sometimes say that crowds is a sign of success. Especially in ministry. Especially in ministry. They say if you've got a big church and there's a lot of people coming, that's a successful ministry. Is that? It might be. It might be. But it might also not be. And this morning we're going to learn from Jesus and take Him as an example. We're going to see what Jesus says about large crowds. As He looks upon the crowd, as he, as he sees all of these people coming towards Him, we're going to see what he says about the crowds. And I want to suggest to you that he's not impressed by large crowds. And there's a reason for that. So let's go into the word without any further ado. In Mark chapter 4 verse 1, it says, And again he began to preach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him. A great multitude. So that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. That's how big this crowd was. People from all over came. But remember why they came. Some wanted to see miracles. Some wanted to come and see and bring all of their sick for him to touch them. So the crowds, is, the, the word spread all over the place. And now the people were pressing on him. And, and the only thing he could do was getting on a boat and go onto the sea. And the crowds would sit on the shore. And, and there's just one thing that comes to my mind here. Think how powerful a preacher he, he was. He wasn't this weak, meek little man who couldn't, he says, excuse me, my name is Jesus. No, no. He would get on the boat and there's a multitude. They didn't have amplifiers and mics and all of these things. He would stand on there on the boat and he would speak to that multitude of a crowd. How powerful was that? Ever thought of that? 
And here he says that a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into that boat, he sat on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables. Everybody say parables. And said to them in his teaching. Now let's think about parable. There's a word that I taught you a few times over and over again. The word parakletos, who remembers that? What is that? Yes, it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? He says there, and I will pray the Father and He will send you another comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. Para is to come alongside you and kletos is to strengthen you, to carry you, to help you. Here we find the same thing in parables. Because if you look at the word parable, it means to cast alongside. This is how he's speaking to them now, in parables. It's to cast alongside. It's made out of two words. The word para, which means to come alongside, and balo, which means to throw or to cast. That's what a parable is. Now you've heard me say so many times here that parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. A parable is a story placed alongside a teaching. That's what it is. So there's a critical teaching that Jesus wants to give them, but he tells them the story, this parable. It is to help us understand its meaning. He, he wants us to understand the meaning of the teaching. And he speaks to them in parables. And you know what? Some people just want to hear stories. That's what some people just want to hear. Isn't that right? Stories makes people feel good. And they can associate with a story. But Jesus is now throwing this out. Remember, this is a massive crowd. And he's going to tell them now a parable to show to you and me what he thinks about big crowds. What is in big crowds. So, the parable is, is to help the disciples understand why Jesus was not impressed by the large crowds that followed him. This parable that we're going to hear today, it was to make these disciples understand. So he gave the parable to the people, and all they heard was a story. Because he knew that most of the people in that crowd will not produce fruit by the words that he was going to say. And look, let me tell you, it's not only in large crowds that this parable will be applicable. It could be applicable this morning in this building, in this church. Because he's going to give us four types of people now. And I no doubt believe that even this morning in this church, there could be one out of each one of these groups that you're going to see in front of you. Every crowd has got these four kinds of people. So let's continue. In Mark chapter 4 verse 3, he says, listen, this is now Jesus, pay attention, cut off everything that you think of now that happened in the week, cut off everything that influenced you, the coronavirus, the, uh, every, any isms or anything, cut it all off and listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and they devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did, grow, did not have much earth. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Yeah. 
you know, there's our man Mark again with his word. He says, and immediately it sprang up, and because it had no depth of the earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprung up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear, let him hear. So this is the parable of the sower. Who has heard about this parable before? There's a lot of messages preached about this parable, wasn't there? Now think of yourself. There's the crowd, and all they heard was, there was this man. He was a farmer. He walks out with a sack in those days. They had a sack that hung over his shoulder. He takes the seat in his hand, and he throws it over into his field. And as he throws it over, there's a hard pathway where people walk on and the soil is really hard and you've seen it happen yourself. The seed falls on and it doesn't go in and the birds see that and they go, whoa, it's a great day for us. Food, free food. They come down and they scoop and they eat all of that seed up. Nothing is going to grow on the pathways. Nothing. And then there's some others that falls amongst the rocks as he throws it out. And in the rocks, because the rocks has got a little bit of ground on it, it quickly comes up, but there's no root. And when the sun comes up, you know, this is a story everybody heard. And then about the thorns. In the thorns, as they come up, you can't see the difference between the two. But as they grow up, the thorns will just kill it off. And then some fell on the good soil which he prepared. And we all know the result thereof. But remember what a parable is. A parable is to cast something along something. So what did Jesus do? He told them the story, but out of this story there is an important message. A truth that he wants to teach his disciples. Now when he says down here, he has an ear to hear, let him hear. This is a Semitic idiom. A Semitic idiom. What does it mean? It's an expression that contains some Hebrew influence. And if you go through the New Testament, you will find a lot of these. Where he says, he was an ear, let him hear. He says, pay attention to that. And, and the, the action here is not just to hear something, but it's to hear more than that. It is to show the need for a careful thought and a personal application. That is what a Semitic idiom means. When he says to them, I want you to hear, if you've got an ear, and let me just see if everybody got ears this morning, do you? Just make sure, just feel one of them. Come on. Are you sure you've got ears? So he says to them, if you have ears, now no doubt the whole crowd would have had ears. He says, so if you have ears, what do you do with ears? Do you eat with it? No, you hear let him hear. So he says to them, I want you to carefully think what I'm telling you now, and then you need to do a personal application. And that's the same today to you and to me. Because the Word of God became alive as soon as I speak the Word. Think of that. I say to you this morning, he was an ear to hear, let him hear. And then, once you've thought and personally applied to your life, it means to hear as to do something. There must be a result. Now, as soon as he said this, 
what happened? The crowd turned around, sat down or walked away or just didn't pay any attention. How do I know that? Let's read on. In Mark chapter 4 verse 10. But when he was alone, this is Jesus, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Those around him asked him about the parable. Now in the book of Matthew, it says that his disciples came to him when he was alone and asked him. And he said to them about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come via parables. And this is so true in our day and age. I preach the word of God, some will not get it. Some will not get it. So if you've got an ear, you need to hear and you need to listen intently, thoughtfully. And if you don't understand it first, you need to go over it and listen again and ask the Holy Spirit to open it up to you so that it can go in. Because every single thing that Jesus says to you and me becomes an action in our lives. Everything. If we follow Jesus as an example, He's going to tell us to do some things and change our lives. He's going to change it. Into what? Into the image of His Son. So these people come to him and they say to him, Jesus, what is this about the, the parable? And he says to them, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Now let me just say, brother and sister, this, this thing about the kingdom. Oh man, it grabs so many people today. Have you heard about kingdom now theology? People who believe that the kingdom has come already and we are living in the kingdom now. And you know what? It's all good, you know. I've, there's a few men who met me in December or in January this year. They came from South Africa and America and everybody. They came and they met me because I'm a pastor. And one of the guys knew me and they came down and they, they've got kingdom principles. Kingdom principles. And the kingdom is now within the kingdom and we need to apply the business principles of the kingdom to our churches. Have you heard that before? They had the wrong man. <laughs> because I know the scriptures. I know what the kingdom is and I know what the mystery of the kingdom is. And Jesus come out and he says to them, I've given it to you, to you, the ones who are coming to me. You see, where is the crowd? Where is the crowd? The crowd didn't come to him and ask him about the parable. They just understood the story. Yes, oh, that's a beautiful story, Jesus. But it's the one who came to him, the ones who came to him and asked him, to them he gave it. Now, there's another example. If you've got a Bible here, just open up in your Bible, because I just thought about that, and I want to put it in here. I'm, I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit just to put it in here. In John chapter 3, if you haven't got a Bible, write this down and go and check this out, because this is the same application to what I've given you here. In John chapter 3, we find Nicodemus, yeah? Who knows the account of Nicodemus? And the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus when? What time of day? By night. He came to Jesus by night. Now, some people say it's because he was afraid to be seen by, you know, the others. And in secret, he came to Jesus. I kind of disagree with that. Because those people might be reading the Bible by chapter division. 
chapter 3 starts with, now Nicodemus came to Jesus. But I believe the first, the last three verses of chapter 2 belongs to chapter 3. Let me read it to you and I'll explain. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he, this is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover. Is there many crowds at the Passover? Yes, at the Passover all of the people come to Jerusalem. At the Passover, during the feast, many believed in him. Many believed in him. How many is many? Well, that's lots. It's many, isn't it? He says, many believed in his name when they, listen now to this, listen, when they saw the signs which he did. Everybody say saw. It's not a seesaw, okay, it's seeing with your eyes, okay? So these people came around and they saw what Jesus is doing and the Bible says that many believed when they see what he was doing. But Jesus, now listen very carefully what this verse says, and you need to go and, and read it. It's in John chapter 2, verse 24. It says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. This is the same way we are now in Mark. Remember the multitudes are standing? Now what did Jesus do? He didn't commit it to them. Why? Because he speaks to them in parables. And then he says to the few who came to them. What he said to the few who came to them? He says it's not for everybody. Not for all the people in the crowds out there. But it's to you who commit yourself to me. He committed himself to them. Let me read it again. I love this. He says, but Jesus, this is now at the Passover, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. He knows what is in people. He knows this morning what is in you. He knows what is in me. He knows what is in your wife. He knows what is in your children. He knows what is in your boss. He knows what is in the president. He knows everybody. How good is it? How cool is it to know somebody who knows everything? This is him. Now, did he commit himself to them? The Bible says no. Why? Because they followed him for the signs. And this is still happening today. People are following Jesus for the signs and the wonders. The miracle maker Jesus. That's who they want. That's not who he is. And then, and then only in chapter 3 verse 1. This is now back in John. There was a man. Now look at this. Many believed in him when they saw the signs. He did not commit himself to them. Now chapter 3 verse 1 says there was a man. How many is that? One. What did this a man do? He says it right there. And a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know this. Why do we know this? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Get this now. Don't miss this. Where was, where was this man Nicodemus by day? Where was he? He was in the crowds. He was in the crowds looking at Jesus because he saw the same signs that the many saw. So he was part of the many. He saw Jesus and he saw Jesus doing the miracles and he was with the crowd believing in Jesus. Why? Because of the miracles. That's out of his own mouth. He says it himself right there. 
But there was something different. He goes, I've got an ear to hear, and I'm listening. And I'm listening. I'm going to the master. I'm going to ask him myself. He comes to Jesus, amen, by night. Why? Because by day, Jesus was doing miracles. It's not because he was afraid. He went to Jesus by night, and he says, Jesus, I just want to ask you this question. We know that you are from God because of all of the miracles. And what did Jesus say straightforward to him? Did he try to defend himself? He says, you must be born again. He gives him the pearls of the kingdom. He gives to Nicodemus the pearls of the kingdom. Now the Bible says he will not throw the pearls before the swine. Have you, do you know that verse? He says he will not throw the pearls before the swine. That's why, brother and sister, he didn't throw that into the whole crowds because people will start laughing at him. What do you talk about being born again? Are you crazy, man? How, do you, how can a 30-year-old man go back into his mother's womb? You've lost it. Put this man into a mental you know, faculty. No, no. Here he comes out and he says, you must be born again. He gives to Nicodemus literally the pearls of the kingdom. He says, you need to be born again to come into the kingdom of God, which is here. He is the king. He set up the kingdom. And here is the wonderful mystery around it. He says that the spirit of God will come and live inside of us. This is the temple of God. I've gone a little bit way beyond this now, okay? Are you okay with that? Because I'm okay with that. How wonderful it is if the Holy Spirit builds the sermon. Do you get this now? Nicodemus was exactly the same when he came to this now. Now we go back to Mark and we see that when Jesus saw the crowds, he did not throw the pearls before them. He talked to them in parables. And then he turns around and he says to them, he says to them, he was an ear, come back, he was an ear, let him hear. And, and in any words, you need to think this through and you have to apply a pers personal application to this. You have to do this. Now, listen to me very carefully, brother and sister. He talks about the mystery of the kingdom of God. It is something you would not know until God reveals it to you. That's what a mystery is. It's not this magic the Bible is not magic. It's not something that's going to appear all of a sudden that was never there. A mystery is something that's always been there. The only thing is, is that God reveals it now to you. I've been preaching the Word of God now for 20, 21, 20, uh, I don't count, but it's, it's a long time. And there's things that I see now which I didn't see 15 years ago. Isn't that right? Um, it is, you know, there's some things you go, wow, I've never seen that before. You want to know why? It's because God's only revealing it now for you because you can only take it now. Before, you didn't listen. You didn't listen. And let me come back to my verse. He's not going to throw pearls before the swine. You say, well, was, am I a swine? You want to tell me I'm a swine? Well, you would have trodden over it like a swine, okay? Because you wouldn't be able to handle it. But as you grow, more things will be given you. I'm going to show that to you in a minute, okay? He says, now this is the mystery, something that you would not have known until God reveals it to you. It is a mystery of the kingdom of God that he talks about, and it can be known today. But let me just say, to these people who he's given this, he says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Let me just say, brother and sister, it brings 
with it an awesome responsibility. It brings a responsibility with it. It's not just something that you go, oh, thank you so much. I'm going to rock it away in my cupboard now. It's mine. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. But in our lives it works like that, isn't it? If I give you something very valuable, what are you going to do? Are you going to give it away? Come on, be honest with me. Come on. If I, if I come to you and I say, this is a pearl of significance, you know, this is a pink diamond. Who knows pink diamonds are very valuable. If I come to you and I say, this is so valuable, I want to give this to you, and you take it, what are you going to do? The first thing you're going to do is, where can I lock this thing away? Am I right or wrong? Because you're afraid you're going to lose it. Now here is the amazing things about the kingdom of God. Whatever He gives us, it's not for us to keep, it's for us to give away. Think about that. He gave us eternal life to do what? To give it away. How do I give it away? I speak to people about it. I speak to them. I preach about it. And what do they get? If the Spirit of God come and maybe via my voice and my whatever, if the Spirit of God comes and they're laid in out and they get saved, what do they get? The pearl of the kingdom of heaven. And what do they do with that? They give it away. And this is how the responsibility works. He says, it's been given to you to know this mystery. But those outside, it comes via parables. And this is the responsibility. Let's listen to Luke chapter 12 verse 48. He says, for everyone who has much is given. From him much will be required. I want you to understand this verse. He says, to him who has much. You know, God has given you a much. From you, much will be required. Think about that. Ponder. And to whom much has been committed, of him they shall ask the more. So you sit here this morning and you hear these wonderful truths about the Word of God. What do you need to do with it? Come on, tell me. You need to give it away. You need to pass it on because it's required from you to do that. You see, He gives them the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. He gives it to them. And you know what you need to do? It's going to be required from you. One day, Jesus is going to ask you, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? Not what did you say. I'm going to do all these things. He's going to say, well done, faithful servant. Well done. Now it continues on in verse 12. Mark 4, 12. He says, so that, he says, to them I speak in parables. Remember parables? He cast a story alongside a truth. He says to them, so that seeing they may see and not perceive. You see this? They see things, but they don't understand it. And hearing they may hear, but do not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now that says something. If you understand the parable of the sower, you will understand all the parables that Jesus is saying. There's some signs coming out of this. I'll show you a few, okay? And then when you read the parables again, you apply this and you go, wow, it opens it up for us. I might just give you one today. I'll see how time leans to that. He says that some people are seeing have you ever read the Bible and you come across something and you go, wow, it opens up to me and you get so excited about it and you walk over to somebody else and, and you say, just read here and they read the, the verse and, and you say, can you see it, can you see it? And they say, see what? 
Have you ever come across that? They see it, but they can't perceive it. Because the Holy Spirit opened up to you. And here, here, listen. The Holy Spirit is our teacher today. The Holy Spirit opens up the Word of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us more about God through the Word. But the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out when Jesus was there, was it? So now they've got Jesus. And now Jesus tells some people in parables, but then he's now going to tell them the truth behind the parable. This is how wonderful it is. Now let's continue on. He's now explaining to them the parable. The first group of people that he talks about is the wayside people. Not the west side people, the wayside. Okay? He talks about them. He says in verse 14, The sower sows the word. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 19, he says the word of the kingdom. The word is the gospel. The word is the word of God. This is what it is. I'm sowing seed this morning. I'm a sower this morning. I stand under the authority of Christ, delegated authority, not in my own authority. I'm preaching the word, the seed. This is what he says. He says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside, the people by the wayside, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So this is the first group of people in the crowd that Jesus is not impressed by. The first group. In a crowd, there will be these people. Glenn would have found it when he sings in the streets. There's people walking past. There's people who will showing the lip. What does that mean? Is that right, Glenn? That's what they say, showing the lip. That's the wayside people. What happens? When he sings the gospel, those words fall on their ears. But the Bible says Satan comes and he takes it away quickly. Now I've put the word birds in there. Remember he said if you understand this parable, you will understand all the parables. When he started talking to them, before explaining it to them, he says the sower sows and what came out of the air and snatches up the, the seed. What? Birds. Wherever in the parables you read about birds, it's negative. It's evil. Okay? Remember this and go and read the parables and you will understand the parables. He says Satan comes, the birds, before this, when he spoke in the parable. Remember he's explaining, it's opening it up now to his inner group, the smaller group. He says Satan comes immediately and he takes the word that was sown in their hearts. He takes it away. Now the question is how does he do this? How does Satan do this? It's easy just to say Satan comes and he takes it away. Let me give you another scripture that explains it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, what does it mean? A veil is something that you put over that you can't see behind it. For some people, when you preach the gospel, it's veiled. They don't understand it. All they see is noise and lips going like this. I've seen it. I've preached a lot in my life. I've preached to bigger crowds than this. And if you preach, even in crowds where people proclaim to be Christians, I can look over the crowd and I can see what I'm preaching is veiled. They don't get it. In the crowds. He says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's a sad story. Whose minds, now look at this. We ask, how does Satan take away the word of God? And here is the answer. 
whose mind's the God of this age. Who's that? Satan. It's Satan there. The God of this age has done what? He has blinded their, eye, their minds who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, this is how he does it. And Satan is blinding the world today, isn't he? Things which were not acceptable a few years ago, today is acceptable. Society is now determining our culture. Not the word of God anymore. Morals is not determining our culture anymore. Now people is falling away and there's bad things happening and people say, why is this happening? Where's God? Well, wait a minute. You've pushed God aside and you said, no, no, no. We are now going to determine our culture. So we're going to accept things we've never did before. We are killing babies now and say it's choice. We are putting beautiful words up now and say it's pro-choice versus pro-life. And now it becomes a political thing. And all I'm saying to you is that Satan is blinding these people's minds. Now if you come to them with the gospel, and you say to them in the word, the seed says that, if you kill a baby, it is murder. What happens? Satan comes and he takes the word away. That's how it works. I want to give it to you practically. In the church it happens the same. Now let, let me bring it closer to home. You might be doing a sin. It's a pity sin for you. You keep on doing it and you keep on feeling guilty and silly about it whenever you do it. And then when a preacher comes and he preaches about that sin, the first thing you become is irritated. Isn't that right? Why is he talking about that the whole time? What's he going on about? Did my wife tell him this? Did my daughter tell him this? Did my husband tell him that? How did he get about preaching on those things? That's the irritation. And you know what has happened? It's because of the God of this age has come and He's blinded your mind in that area. So when the seed is sown in that area in your life, what happens? Satan comes, he scoops down and he picks it up and off he goes. Because why? The heart is hardened. The wayside is hard ground. It is hardened hearts. Jeremiah 4 verse 3 says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, this toughness, and do not sow among the thorns. So Jesus wasn't just sucking this parable out of his thumb. He knew what he was talking about. If your heart is hardened, my brother and sister, Satan has blinded your mind so that you can't receive the word. That's the first group of people. A crowd will, even in churches, I see that. So the second group of people is the stony people. And it's not because they are stoned, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean. It is the stony people. He says in Mark chapter 4, verse 16, these likewise, Jesus explains to them in the parable, are the ones who sown on stony ground, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. But afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arise, this, and, uh, and um, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And I've put it in there for you. It's because when he spoke in parables, he said to the crowd, when the sun shines on them, 
what happens? They die. So this is the stony people in the crowd. And these people are there. And I've seen a lot of this in my time. People coming to the church and they receive the word with gladness. You see them, man, they become so zealous. They want to do everything. They want to be at the prayer meetings. They were just, you know, like a busy bee. Just for, I'm on fire for Jesus. And you, you know what I say? That's all good. And I pray for these people, but let the word go deeper. Because it says they did not find root in themselves. You see that? Let's unpack it a little bit more. They receive it with gladness. You know how I see this playing off in churches? A lot of people are emotional when it comes to this. And churches play on this. They hype up the crowd and play on the emotions, don't they? How do you feel now? Do you get the feeling? Do you get the vibe? Oh man, there's a great vibe in the place here this morning. Let's hype everybody up with singing and we turn off the lights. Because if you turn the lights down, then you get a mood. We set the mood. Am, am Am I speaking to people today? Do you see these things happen? They play on the emotions. And what, what happens with emotions? It brings gladness in you. You feel, man, it's so nice. It's so good. And something is happening. Man, I get this thrill through my body. And then they say, come, let me touch you. And when somebody touches you, oh, there's thrills happening. Oh, I'm thrilling. It's all about gladness. Emotional. That's what he taps into. But then he says they've got no root in himself. What does it mean? You see, for some people, the root is their parents. That's it. My parents are going to church, and because they're going to church, I'm going to church. For some, it is Christian friends. Oh, I've got a great friend. You know, if it wasn't for this friend, I wouldn't have served God. What? What are you saying? If it wasn't for Christ, you wouldn't have served Him. These friends were only, only people who showed you towards Christ. Let me just say it this morning. I've said it so many times over my life. The only reason why I'm preaching here to you today is to point you to Christ. You should never in your life become a follower of me. And if you do, you're in error. Because it's never this pastor's attention to bring you to become followers of me. I don't want you to go out into the crowd and say, wow, that pastor is such a great man. No, no, you need to say, Jesus Christ is great. That's what you need to say. You see, otherwise you are rooting yourself in me, and I will fail you. I'm so sad to tell you this. It's true, true story. If you trust on this man standing right in front of you, I will fail you someday. But who will never fail you? He will never fail you. You see, so you need to root yourself in whom? In Jesus Christ. Not in your parents or a Christian friend or a pastor. And get this, some people are rooted in their churches. And this is how I find it out. When I walk up to them and introduce and I ask them, how is your Christian life going? Oh, we've got a very good, vibrant church, man. You should come to our church, man. It's alive there. You know, every time we start singing, God is there. And I go, oh, if it's there and he's here, he's omnipresent. He's not only there. Unfortunately and sadly, these people get so excited, but they only endure for a short time. And you you see, the thing is, 
It's interesting because the, the people, the people by the wayside, the hardened people, what happens? Satan comes and he takes the word away from them. But with these people, Satan leaves them, he leaves them because circumstances will get them down. That's what happens with these people. Because he says there's no root and then when tribulation and persecution comes, what will happen? They will then stumble. They will stumble. You see, these people have got a thin layer of sand. Just a, a little bit of softness. But man, if you shake it hard enough, the stuffness sitting under here will come out. It jumps out like a lion, the stuffness. Let's move on. So we've got two kind of people in the crowd already. Can you see why Jesus wouldn't be impressed with the wayside people and the stony people? But people look at the crowd and they say, Whoa, look at the crowd. She's successful. Jesus said, Wait a minute. Let me just show you who's in the crowd. Right, let's get to the thorny people. The thorny people. Mark chapter 4 verse 18. He says, Now these are the ones who sown amongst the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the thorns. I put it in, the, in there because in the parables he said the thorns. But in the explanation he says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The thorny people. You know, this is the people who open up their hearts to a lot of things. A lot of things. This is a crowded heart. There's so many things happening at the same time. I want to live for Jesus, but I also want to live for the world. I'm, I'm sitting in two camps. This is what it is. He identifies three thorns for me in this. The cares of the world. And this is the necessities of life. The necessities of life. And one would say, wait a minute, preacher. I should be looking after myself, the necessities of life. I need to eat. I need to all of these things. I need to clothe myself. Is that right? But it should never become a worry for you. This is what he says. Because who is the one looking after you? Jesus. And he takes care of you. Now, it doesn't say that you stop your job tomorrow and sit back and say, Hey, Jesus, let me see how you're going to look after me. This is not what he says. Because you are a responsible person. But these should not become a care. A, a, a second one, a care of the world, is the competence to have a successful life. Do you want to know that there's so many people in the world who are so worried that their lives will turn out successful at the end of it? Do you know people like that? When you talk to them, they always want to arrive. They've always got the scheme going. The next big thing that's going to land, the ship's going to come into the harbor. It's not there yet, but it's going to come in. And I, and, I, and I listen to these people and I think, you are hungry and you are thirsty. You haven't been to Jesus. Yes? He said, I am the bread of life, didn't he? If you come to me, you will never hunger, you will never... Now, does it mean that you cannot be successful if you're a child of God? By far not. By far not. You can be a child of God and successful. But listen, it is Christ who drives you, not your ambitions that drives you. That's the difference. Because that's the other thing. It is the affluence. People are so worried about the affluence these days. Christians. You know, it's the pride and the ambitions. And, and he says, these are the thorny people because these things occupy your mind. 
And then the second thorn there is the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness thereof. And then the third one is the desires of other things. But finally, brother and sister, can you see there's three groups of people in this crowd? Finally, let's come to the good people. Who likes the good people? Come on, show me. Who likes the good people? Who wants to be the good people? Huh? So we've, we find the wayside people. We find the stony people. The thorny people. But this is the good people. He says in Mark chapter 4 verse 20, But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, what do they do with the word? They accept it. They receive it. They take it. L listen what he said. He was an ear, let him hear. In other words, I'm going to listen intentively and I'm going to apply it. They receive the word. What happens once you receive the word? You bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 faults. Some, some, all of these. Now the question is, what does it mean to bear fruit? He says it there. They that fall onto good ground, they accept it and they bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. In other words, there's no more thorns that's going to grow up with this good seed. It's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians chapter 4 verse 22. If you read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 on, it gives you all the works of the flesh, all the things you should not do. But in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these there is no law. And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. Now let me just warn you quickly. Let me just warn you here. If you look at verse 22 in Galatians chapter 5, these aren't things which you're going to try effortlessly to do. You know, this week I'm going to be loving to everybody. I, I might lose my patience, but I'm going to be loving. I'm going to work hard. I, I once know, knew a man who took this literally, he printed out all of these words on, on a card, cartons, you know, like joy, peace. He put it all over the house. So that, Listen, this is not works you do. This is fruit you bear. There's a distinction here, isn't it? Works I'm doing is I'm going to take this word, each one, and I'm going to try my really hardest to be peaceful. That guy's going to cut you off the motorway. He's going to honk at you. He's going to show you signs which I will never show in the church. But I'm going to be peaceful. And once I tick that box, I'm going to go. This week, peaceful. Tick. But what about next week and the week after? It's going to be so tough for you to, to try to do those things. What does the Bible say they are? Fruit. Now, what things is that? Present, isn't it? What is it plural or singular? It's singular. Have you noticed that? Some people say it's the fruits of the Spirit. Those people who say it's the fruits of the Spirit, guess what? For them it's a work to do. 
for them is tasks. No, no, let it be known here this morning that once the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, what happens? You receive the fruit of the Spirit. When he says that those where the the good, the word is fallen on good ground, they accept it. They bear fruit. This is the fruit that you will bear. You say, but wait a minute, preacher. Just last week I lost, lost my cool. And I'm saved. Yes, I know. I know. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to come to you because it's His fruit that you are bearing. It's not your own fruit. So the, the fact that you said to me that you lost your cool shows me that you didn't carry the Holy Spirit's fruit. And it should show you that your fruit is not the Holy Spirit's fruit. You understand where I'm going with this? This is the fruit that you will bear. Now I want to finish this morning with one scripture verse and then we're going to sing if somebody can prepare my wife with that. When Jesus looked over the crowd and listened well, what I said, he was not impressed by crowds. I, I think a lot of people will find it strange that I gave the sermon that topic. Because people would say, wait a minute, Jesus is always impressed with the crowds. No, no. He's always there for the crowds to give them the seed, which he did. He preached to them in parables. But only a few came to him. But if you think about it, how many groups of people were there in the crowd? Four people. Yeah, wayside. Yeah, stony. Thorn. Good. Now, if you think about this, only a quarter of the people were bearing fruit. Now this goes against all of these people who go into these big crowds and they say, oh, there were 5,000 in the crowd who came to this preacher and when we had the altar call out of that, you know, 3,000 people came out and committed their hearts to the Lord. Now again, I just want to put a disclaimer in here. I'm not God. I can't say that. I don't know how they say it. They might have counted the amount of people who came to the front Tick, 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 like sheep ticker, you know, tick, 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 3,000. And now they say, oh, this pastor, you know, this preacher, you need to get him to your church because he's so successful, man. You know, when he preaches over a crowd, 60% of the people give their hearts to the Lord. Eh. What did Jesus say? There's three, four groups of people in a crowd. And the proof of the matter here is that only a quarter of these people were bearing fruit. Now again, you know, I don't want to play maths here. I'm not going to say in every big crowd of 10,000 come, you can sit there and go, oh, forget about all of the rest, only a quarter will come to Christ. I'm not saying that, but the proof here is that big crowds don't impress him as it impresses us as people. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is more, more weightier for me than big crowds, this scripture verse. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Who knows this verse? You've heard sermons about this verse. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Okay, you see that? And there are how many? How many is many? Well, I guess it's many, isn't it? How many people came to him when he was sitting on the bout? Massive, large crowds. Yes? How many at the Passover came to see him do the, the, the miracles, the signs? Many, lots of people. 
And, and where does many fall here now? It says it's the gate that is broad and the way that leads to the strand. And there are many on this gate, gated road, isn't it? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. How many? A few. How many came to him who wanted to know about the parable? A few. How many came to him when he was at the Passover? A man. How many? One man. And here he says, you know, he sees consistent. He sees only a few that will find this way. John 14 verse 16 says that Jesus, he says it himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is how it works. This is how it works, my brother and sister. He says, narrow is the gate. And the door to the gate is whom? Jesus. He says it right there. Jesus, 4, John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. And whence people come through, how many find that way? Not a lot. Until death. For a lot of Christians, it's hardship, isn't it? Come on, be with me now. Don't, don't fall asleep right now. We're nearly finished. Come on. Is it hard for some people to live their lives? In the Western world, let me tell you, we've, we've got it easy. But in a lot of worlds, in the Middle East, if you follow Jesus Christ, your life depends on it. Some people's eyes are, are pulled out of their faces. Some people's ears are cut off, their noses are cut off because they are children. Some people's arms are cut off for this. So this is true what he says. He says it is difficult, didn't he? He says the narrow gate, which is difficult way, is the way. Difficult is the way which leads to life. So these people on this narrow way until their death, this could be difficult for them. But look at this, brother and sister. After death, once they go to that life, eternal life, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and that life be abundantly. Listen to this, brother and sister. After death, your life is abundant. And listen to me as well. While you're alive, while we're here today, your life is abundant. You've got Christ. But he says, wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And this is how it happens with these people. Their life is so full and broad. If you talk to these Jesus people, they say to you what? You are so narrow-minded. Isn't that right? You Christians, you are so narrow-minded. We are so broad-minded. Well, Jesus said it. He said broad. And, you know, it's so big. And, and as they grow older... You see how it spirals down to the dead they die. Because let me tell it to you, brothers and sisters, when you die, you can take nothing with you. Nothing. Except if you're on this side, you take with you the life that Jesus Christ gave you. So, did big crowds impress my Lord Jesus Christ? Not the way it impressed us. Not the way it impressed us. Did we learn something today? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this awesome responsibility to know the things that you've said to us about the mystery of the kingdom. Father, we thank you that you speak to each heart here today. Help us, Lord, that we apply this. Help us to, to, to listen intentively to do 
to do, Lord. We need to do. Father, we don't need to do in our own strength. We need to do through the Spirit of God. 